0: Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in this country right now to come together and to worship you and to study your word. Um, Lord, not everyone in the world right now has this opportunity. And uh, we take this time now to thank you for for your blessings on us today. And uh, we pray that you would bless our time together and that we would learn and that you'd give us clarity of thought to process uh, some of the issues that we're dealing with this morning here as we look at uh, the teaching of your word. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, we are continuing this morning our series on the sacraments. All right. And uh, of course, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, we're starting with the sacrament of baptism. And then we're going to be dealing with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper later on. So we're on baptism right now and we're on the section in our baptism discussion where we're talking about the history of the study of baptism. So we're looking at some of the major traditions of Christianity and how they've understood this particular doctrine. And last week, we were looking at um, especially the Lutheran understanding of baptism. And the reason why I'm spending some time on um, Luther's doctrine of baptism is not just because I find it interesting, even though I do find it interesting, but it's also because the questions that arise out of Luther's doctrine that we're going to look at today are questions that we as Reformed and Presbyterian people are going to have to deal with. They're questions that actually drove some of the Reformed to the conclusions that they have regarding baptism. And so I want to spend a little more time on Luther's doctrine of baptism this morning, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Reformed understanding. All right? So let's, uh, let's take a look at this. So just reviewing a little bit from last time when we were looking at Luther... Luther understood uh, sacraments as a visible word of God. So you've got the word of God written, which is what we have right here, the Bible. So this is the word of God. It's in a written form for us to, to read and to process. And Luther said, not only do you have the written word of God, but you have the visible word of God. So you have in the sacraments, the word of God being presented to the eyes and to the taste and to the touch and so on. So the Word of God is being presented for you so that you can see it at work. When you look at the sacrament of baptism, you see the Word of God at work in the sense that you see water being poured over the recipient, symbolizing right, the waters of forgiveness, washing away sin. Okay? So that's what sacraments are for Luther. They're a visible word. And we in the Reformed world as Presbyterians, we also believe that the sacraments are a visible word too. Um, and we'll talk about that later on. But anyway, sacraments are a visible word, and Luther's very clear about what baptism does. Uh, And what he says is baptism works the forgiveness of sins and delivers from death and the devil and gives everlasting salvation to all who believe. Okay? So Luther says baptism is actually working forgiveness of sins and is saving the recipient. Okay? That's really important to get. Because Luther also says that if baptism is going to do these things, if it's going to work the forgiveness of sins and save the recipient, that person has to come to the sacrament in faith. So you see, faith is required for the sacrament to work. You have to have faith. It's a prerequisite. And if you come to the sacrament of baptism in faith then it accomplishes the things that it signifies. Namely, forgiveness of sins and salvation. Okay. Yes, sir. It signifies that they've already been saved through their faith. No, it accomplishes their salvation. They're not saved by faith. That is what I'm getting to here. That, that, you're, you're picking up on exactly what I want to bring up here, Willie Ray. Thank you. This raises a number of... Questions and implications in Luther's view, doesn't it? And Willie Ray is, is picking up on this. If Luther wants to maintain justification by faith alone, which he does, right? He wants that. He's all about that doctrine. We know that. That was what the Reformation was all about. Luther wants to maintain justification by faith alone. Yet he also wants to maintain this idea that baptism itself is also involved in the salvation process in some way. And so in order to unite those two doctrines, he wants to say, you need faith in order for baptism to work. But baptism actually does the things that it signifies. It actually does bring salvation. And this brings us to one of the sort of implication questions that I have. If Luther were alive today, I'd want to ask him this question. I'd want to ask him, and this is exactly what Willie Ray is pointing out. um, When does forgiveness of sins actually happen? When does salvation actually happen? Because it seems to me that in Scripture, we find that the moment of forgiveness of sins and the moment of salvation happens with faith. Right? We're justified by faith. When we have faith in Christ, that's when we receive the forgiveness of sins, and that's when we are declared righteous before God on the basis of the work of Christ. So it's at faith where we receive the forgiveness of sins. And Luther agrees with that. But then he also wants to say we receive forgiveness of sins in baptism because he wants to hold to a regenerative view of baptism. So this raises serious questions. If I get, if I get saved on October 1st, right, I have faith in Christ, I come to salvation on October 1st, and then I get baptized on November 1st, when was I actually saved, in Luther's view? Was I saved when I had faith? Is that when I got my forgiveness of sins? Yeah. Or was it at baptism? Is that when I got my forgiveness of sins? And what happens in the month in between? You see the question there. So that's, you're exactly picking up on the issue there with Luther's understanding. There seems to be this kind of strange, mysterious paradox at work. And Luther actually admits that. <laughs> so Luther was big on paradoxes he was okay if his, if his doctrine didn't seem to quite make sense because he seemed to think that, that the Bible was that way. The Bible didn't always, you couldn't always put two and two together because God works in mysterious ways. So that's an implication of this, this doctrine of Luther that the Reformed are going to deal with. The Reformed are going to ask the question, all right, what exactly is baptism doing? Because it doesn't seem that Luther's view can really hold up and stand with the doctrine of justification by faith alone if we're going to be consistent. And what if you died? right right that's another question i think luther would say well you you would still be saved because god would overlook the fact that you weren't baptized um but again it it's very difficult to, to systematize what luther's saying right because he's, he's trying to make strong statements about everything and it's just it's really difficult to, to put it all together and when you try you end up with stuff like this these these weird questions about when does when does salvation actually happen so it, it's really tricky So that's the first question I have. I've got four questions for Luther. The first one is, given his understanding of baptism, when are you actually saved? Second question I have is, what about infants? You remember what I just said. Baptism for Luther only works if you have faith. Well, what happens when you baptize an infant? Does the infant have faith? Or does the infant not have faith, and are they an exception? Well, here's actually here's what Luther said later in his life, because Luther actually changed his view on this. Earlier on in his life, he said that the infant is saved in baptism on the basis of the faith of the parents. So the infant doesn't have faith, the infant can't have faith, it's the faith of the parents that saves them. But later in his life, he modified this. And so this is more his view that comes from his larger catechism. And what Luther says, and we talked about this a little bit last week towards the end. Luther says that when you bring a child for baptism, faith is not required beforehand because the infant doesn't have faith. Rather, when you bring them to baptism, the child receives the gift of faith. In baptism. You see that? So for adults, faith is a prerequisite. You have to have faith, and then the sacrament works. For infants, you don't have to have faith when you bring the child beforehand. I mean, the infant doesn't have to have faith when you bring the child for baptism. But baptism gives them the gift of faith. And Luther talks about this in his larger catechism. He says, when we bring a child for baptism, we should pray and we should have confidence that God will give them the gift of faith at the moment of its administration. So this is also really important to understand in Lutheran theology. When you you, um, participate of a sacrament, the effects of the sacrament, what they're doing, always happens at the moment that you administer the sacrament. This is different for us Reformed people, because if you look at our Westminster Confession of Faith... In the sacraments chapter, it says that the effects of baptism are not limited to the moment of its administration. You could get baptized as a child, and the effects of that baptism may not come to fruition for 20 years. You see that? So that's different in the Reformed tradition than it is in the Lutheran tradition. For Luther, if you get baptized, the thing has to happen right there. And for the infant, the faith is given, and it is always given. Every child who comes and receives the sacrament of baptism in the Lutheran tradition receives faith. That's what they believe, is that the infant receives faith. Which just winds up being baptismal regeneration. I mean, right, if Lutherans yep. hold justification by faith alone, mm-hmm. then you can't separate faith and justification. And if it's given to the infant upon receiving the sacrament, at the same point in time that they're justified Yep, that's exactly right. Yep. And I'll tell you, growing up in the Lutheran church, every time a child was brought forth for baptism, they had a a liturgy that they would read. And the pastor would always say, after the baptism happened, he would say, we believe that the gift of faith is given to this child in baptism. So that's what I just said. This is what Luther says. And then they say, but we also believe that this gift of faith will be lost. If the child is not taught the word of God, upheld by prayer, and given a Christian example to follow. So you can see this is going to have massive implications for your doctrine of election and your doctrine of perseverance of the saints. If you believe baptism is always giving the gift of faith and always justifying children. Because that would mean that every child who receives baptism is getting saved. Meaning every child who's getting baptism is also elect. And then you've got a really poor retention rate of election at that point because we know from experience that most children who come for baptism and just most people in general who receive baptism tend to fall away. They, 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 they um, prove themselves to be unbelievers. And so that becomes a serious issue with, with, um, with this doctrine of baptism. Okay? So that's my, my second question that I'd have for luther and trying to square all of, all of these things because again luther believed in predestination all right? you read his book the bondage of the will that's pure reform theology going on right there in that book all right he believed in predestination but again squaring what luther says over here with what he said over here is extremely difficult and to me, that's what makes you know, studying Luther very intriguing because it's almost sort of a challenge to try to put his thought together and try to understand it. So anyway, those are my first two questions. All right. And here's my third question for him. And this is another issue that um, the Reformed are going to have to deal with. You'll notice that for Luther's doctrine of baptism, it seems that baptism becomes something fundamentally different for infants than it is for adults. Because remember, for adults, faith is a prerequisite. You have to have faith beforehand for the sacrament to work. Whereas for the infant, you don't have to have faith beforehand. In fact, if you don't have faith beforehand, you're a perfect uh, recipient. Because the whole purpose of the sacrament for infants is to give the gift of faith. So you see that? It's almost backwards. Baptism for Luther becomes something fundamentally different for infants than adults. And this isn't just sort of a logical conclusion that I have that you know Lutheran scholars today would be upset with. I actually have a really good um, Lutheran pastor friend of mine who's very into theology and knows his stuff and I enjoy talking with him now and then. And I asked him this question and he agreed with me. He says, for infants, baptism is regenerative. For adults, baptism, as he put it, is a sign and seal see that so they also they become reformed for adults but then for infants they want to hold to a regenerative view okay so baptism is different for adults and infants and that's a major implication here that the reformed are going to end up dealing with and have to answer uh, later in in history a little bit later and we'll come to the reformed view in just a minute all right so that's my third question and here's my fourth question and this is um this is probably the the least important out of all of them, but it's still important, and that is that in in Lutheran baptism, there is no notion of baptismal judgment in lutheran uh, in Lutheran doctrine of baptism, there is no notion of baptismal judgment and what I mean by that is this you remember in if you were here for the first session of uh, this series that we did where I was introducing what we're going to be doing in this series, I talked about how in the Reformed view, we have this understanding of baptism that's sort of twofold. Baptism for the Reformed is not just a symbol of salvation and grace. The baptism also is a symbol of the waters of judgment coming upon uh, unbelievers and on the wicked. And this is not something that we, as the Reformed people, just sort of came up with and just decided, like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Let's have it be symbolizing both. This is something we see in Scripture. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at this passage in more detail later on. It's the passage where Peter says, baptism now saves you. We're going to be looking at that and what Peter means by that later on. But um, right before he says that, he talks about how baptism is the antitype of the flood of Noah. And what he means by that is that just as the flood of Noah both saved Noah and his family and destroyed the world and all the wicked, so baptism is like that. In that baptism, those same waters symbolize salvation for the elect, and they symbolize flood waters of judgment for the non elect. And not only that, but baptism itself symbolizes not only the washing of the, the guilt and sin from us, but it also symbolizes the judgment that was poured upon Christ on the cross. So baptism is sort of judgment, and it is blessing. Right? It's judgment and it's salvation. That's what it's symbolizing for the Reformed. In, in the Lutheran tradition, baptism is almost entirely salvation, And you can see that in their doctrine of the baptism of infants, right? Baptism always gives salvation. It always saves the child when you bring them forward. It always gives the gift of faith. And I had one pastor explain to me as I was asking about this. He said, well, he said, you have to believe that because otherwise, how are you going to know whether the sacrament works or not? You have to believe it always works. Otherwise, there's no assurance. So for Lutheran understandings of baptism judgment is sidelined and that's something we're going to bring out later on in this series when we're looking at scripture we want to see baptism in its full orb symbolism not just a one-sided view of the symbolism okay so we'll look at that in more detail later um all right so that is the lutheran understanding of baptism you guys have any questions about it before we transition yes robert Mm-hmm. what is the word Because you're referring to in baptism and secondly it seems to me that in Lutheranism if your analysis is sure is that baptism is very mechanical mm-hmm. yep yeah um, this is why Lutherans and Roman Catholics are often paired together a lot of times because they both have sort of a, a mystical mechanical view of baptism but they're not the same Lutherans will be very offended if you say they're Roman Catholics. So I've, I've been trying to distinguish it as much as I can, but it, they do end up being similar mechanically, and that's where you're so what does bringing that out. Say it works? View? To what say Yeah, so um, when I say that baptism works, or when I'm frequently referring to that, what I'm saying is that, yeah, is that um, for the Baptist view, baptism really doesn't do anything. Right, Baptist, Baptism is just a sign. It's merely something that um, demonstrates for you the symbolism. So it, it does not have any spiritual effect on the recipients or on the spectators. But aside from the Baptist view, most Christian traditions understand that baptism is more than just a sign. That baptism has some kind of thing that's happening. Some kind of spiritual significance. It's having some kind of impact on the recipient and on those who are observing the recipient. And so that's what I mean when I say, what does baptism do, or how baptism works? The question is, what is that spiritual thing that is happening? And it's kind of hard to define, and it's kind of hard to describe, but you can see that in the Lutheran tradition, that spiritual thing that's happening is salvation. It is the forgiveness of sins. Same with the Roman Catholics, although it's a little different for them. The thing that's happening, the spiritual th- work that's going on, is the um, the infusing of grace to make the person righteous. All right. So you've got sort of these these things going on, and so the Reformed are going to have an answer to this question too. So in the case of an infant, what I heard you say the infant receives the gift of faith mm-hmm. at the time. Yes. And is yep. And I would assume that he cannot. Well, that's why I um, quoted a little bit ago what my Lutheran pastors would say growing up. They say, we believe the gift of faith can be lost. So they can fall away. They can lose it. They do not have a doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. So every child who receives baptism is regenerate. You're right. But really, there's a a pretty poor retention rate because most of them are falling away. Does that make sense? Any other questions? All right, well, let's transition then a little bit to the Reformed view of baptism. And we're not going to have time to get all the way through the stuff that I have here, so we can carry that over into next week. That'll be good, because next week, I want to focus on the Baptist view of baptism. And we'll be talking about that a little bit next week. And then that will be the end of our history after next week. Then we'll get into Scripture, which I'm sure is what you all are waiting for. <laughs> you want to get into the Bible and see what, what God has to say about baptism, not what Luther or Calvin or what all these other people have to say. All right, so here's the Reformed tradition. All right, just by way of, of introduction to the Reformed tradition, I just want to tell you a little bit about how the Reformed sort of, in my view, sort of uniquely approach the subject of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. When it comes to uh, the study of the sacraments, pretty much all other traditions of Christianity, be it Roman Catholics or Baptists or Lutherans or that sort of thing, uh, they, they tend to sort of sideline the Old Testament in their understanding of the sacraments and so what I mean by that is this you will never run into a Baptist who will say I don't believe the Old Testament is the word of God they're all going to affirm yes the Old Testament is the word of God just as much as the New Testament is and they'll even preach from the Old Testament they make use of it they love the Old Testament but when it comes to the study of the sacraments it seems to me that most traditions of Christianity tend to not in theory but in practice they push the Old Testament aside and they say well we're talking about baptism baptism doesn't show up in the Old Testament at all therefore we don't need it we're just going to look at the New Testament for our understanding of the sacraments the Old Testament might be helpful for other things might be helpful for our understanding of the doctrine of God or prophecies of Jesus or those sorts of things. But baptism is not in the Old Testament. Therefore the Old Testament has nothing to teach us about this. We want to focus on the New Testament. Do we see any particular example of an infant being baptized explicitly in the New Testament? No. Therefore it's not legitimate. All right, so they want to build their whole doctrine just by looking at the New Testament in isolation. Now they won't... Deny, again, they won't deny the Old Testament as the Word of God. Lutherans won't do that either. Roman Catholics won't do that either. They recognize its importance for other things, but in practice, it seems to me that, that the Old Testament is largely ignored because it just isn't relevant. And this makes the Reformed tradition a little bit unique, I think, because for the Reformed tradition, we, be, we believe that the Old Testament is essential for understanding the sacraments. It's not surprising, really, that you have all these other views out there about the sacraments because largely those are caused by focusing too much on the New Testament and forgetting that there's a whole 77% of Scripture that you haven't looked at if all you do is look at the New Testament. The New Testament is 23% of the Bible. The Old Testament is the rest, the 77% of God's Word that has stuff to tell us about the sacraments. And the reason why in the Reformed tradition we make so much use of the Old Testament, why we care so much about it is because it's 77% of God's word, and because the Old Testament scriptures provide the context for the giving of the New Testament. You really can't understand the New Testament unless you are firmly rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Because that was the context in which the New Testament was given. The Old Testament was the Bible of the early church until the New Testament was written. You have to understand the Old to understand the New. And so you can't read the New Testament in isolation, right? It has to be informed by the Old Testament. And that's because, as Reformed people, we very strongly stress the unity of redemptive history. Right? We stress the unity of how God has worked. Among his people throughout all of the centuries of the earth's existence, we stress the fact that the Old Testament and the New Testament are not two separate stories. They are one story, they are one real sequence of events. It is real and it is together. You cannot separate them. And you can distinguish them. No doubt there are differences between the Old and New Testament. The Mosaic Law is a good example. But it is still one story. They're distinguished but not separated. And so if we're going to understand the New Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament. And so for that reason, when we get to the biblical side of this series, we're going to spend a lot of time in various Old Testament texts looking at those key places that teach us the important background that we need to understand what the sacraments are and, how we sh- and what we should believe about them and to understand then what the New Testament says about the sacraments. Because guess what? Sacraments don't just show up in the New Testament. Sacraments show up in the Old Testament too. And the reason for that is because sacraments in the Reformed understanding are what we call covenant signs. Sacraments are covenant signs. And so this leads us then to one of the big distinctives of Reformed theology, and that is covenant theology. And in my judgment, covenant theology is precisely what distinguishes a right view of baptism from a wrong view. Because you need the concept of covenant. You need a deep, rich understanding of covenant in order to understand the sacraments. If you don't understand covenant, then you're going to lapse into seeing the sacraments as merely a sign, or you're going to see them as a mystical, mechanical, regenerative event. So you end up being your typical general Baptist, or you end up being a Roman Catholic or a Lutheran if you don't understand covenant. And that's why we're going to spend time talking about covenant theology in this series, not in any kind of deep or boring way, because... You know, one of the things that's hard about covenant theology is that sometimes it can get really complex. Right? We talk about, you know, if you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to me teach, I'll talk about the Abrahamic covenant or the Davidic covenant or the new covenant or the old covenant or the covenant of grace or the covenant of works or the covenant of redemption. And like you start listing all these covenants and it can get kind of confusing right? if, you, if you're not quite sure how to put them together. You get the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace sort of mixed up. And, you know, it, it can be difficult. I get that. So we're going to spend some time talking about covenant theology in this series because it's really important to understand the sacraments. And we're going to do it in such a way that I'll try to be the, the least complicated I can possibly be and try to make it as simple as possible so we can get what's going on. OK, so to understand the sacraments, you have to understand covenant theology because then you can make sense of all of the things the New Testament says about the sacraments. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about covenant really quickly. Actually, no, let's not because we're out of time. It is, it is uh, 1045, so we need to close here. Um, we'll talk about covenant next time in the Reformed Understanding of Baptism. And again, don't snooze. Don't hit the intellectual snooze button we talk about this. This is going to be the key to understanding what's going on because covenant is what structures the Bible. And we're going to see that, I think, next week when we look at that. So any questions, quick, before we, before we uh, wrap it up here this morning? All right, well, if not, then let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Oh, God, we thank you for the sacraments. We thank you for um, these gifts to your church. And we pray that you'd give us clarity of mind to understand them. Help us to understand your word. Uh, help us to understand what you're telling us. Uh, and Lord, also help us um, to be humble in our understanding, recognizing you know, we might be wrong. Um, but Lord, we pray that you would guide us and that uh, you would work in us a greater love for you through this study. Um, we pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.